0: Everything that Jesus had been teaching and and everything that he had done, the reason he came has been leading to this point, to this week that started with him entering Jerusalem. The Lamb of God is coming down to lay down his life to bring glory to the Father and to give life to all who believe in his name. He's coming to his own, those he created as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not coming with a vast army of angels to take the territory. He's riding on a donkey, on a humble donkey. It is fitting then that as as it comes, that this event be surrounded, that it be surrounded by worship, by praise, by adoration. Despite the things that would happen, and we know the rest of the story, despite the things that would soon happen, the plotting, the betrayals, the accusations, the turning away, of his disciples, the loneliness, the beating, the torture. It is time to recognise that something very special is taking place. And no one really appreciated how special it really was. So we come to this crucial and strategic event. Jesus had entered Jerusalem and in Jesus' road to the cross he comes to another special event which is the clearing of the temple which happened soon after he came into Jerusalem. Many consider this episode a bit out of character for Jesus, the Jesus meek and mild, the softly, kindly, the not too heavy, not too light but you know, just right on top of Jesus without any extremes. That's the way that people try to portray him. This is only because we ignore the fact that he was God-man in one and the same person. Let me quote you from the words of James Stewart, the great preacher and theologian from Scotland. He said, and I quote, He was the meekest and lowliest of all the sons of men. Yet he spoke of the coming on the clouds of heaven with the glory of God. He was so austere that evil spirits and demons cried out in terror at his coming. Yet he was so genial and, and winsome and approachable that the children loved to play with him and the little ones nestled in his arms. He was a dreamer of dreams and a seer of visions, yet for the sheer stark realism, he has all of us self-style realists soundly beaten. He was the servant of all, washing the disciples' feet, yet masterfully he strode into the temple and the hucksters and money changers fell over one another to get away in their mad rush from the fire that they saw in his blazing eyes. He saved others. Yet, at the last, he himself did not save. There is nothing in all of history like the union of contrast which confronts us in the Gospel. The mystery of Jesus is the mystery of divine personality. If you think you've got Jesus worked out, you've got another thing coming. This morning we are going to extract some biblical lessons of what to expect at the temple. What do I mean by that? The temple in the Bible is much more than the place that Jesus walked into all those years ago. Yes, there was a temple that has been rebuilt already. The old temple had been destroyed by the invading armies. Then Herod built the temple and that's the one that Jesus went. There is, there is some remains still, I will show you some pictures, some remains of that, the Herod temple. But the temple in the Bible is much more than the place, the physical place. Jesus referred to his own body as the temple, the one that he would destroy and in three days he would raise it up again. We can also say that the church body is considered the temple of God as you have been built, Peter says. How does that work? Well, because the church body is made up of individual Christians, individual bricks, they're all being put together because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And the only reason why this body of believers is a temple is because each of us Individually, the Bible tells us, is also the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the imagery of the temple has been removed from a, a solid structure into a spiritual dimension. First of all, let's talk about the cleanup from verse 12. Jesus, in verse 12 we read, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Now, just click on the next image. That is the view as Jesus came, that is the view from the Mount of Olives, which the Bible says that that's the view that Jesus would have seen as he came towards Jerusalem 2,000 years ago from the, that is the view from the Mount of Olives and the next one uh, there is some people spoiling the, the picture can't get away from the tourist my daughter is in the middle there they are the steps the real deal these are the steps that Jesus would have walked on as he went into the temple, the temple area. It's blocked off at the back, as you can see, all that, because it's been built and rebuilt and all of that. But that's, they're the actual steps that Jesus would have walked on to do what he was about to do. Because God is a holy God, when he enters, he starts a cleaning process. As we are, none of us is fit. Not for earth to be living in God's way and definitely not for heaven. He will not share his glory with anything or anyone therefore there has to be some radical Overturning, turning over off tables in people's lives. And overturning off priorities and schemes and plans and dreams and are turning over to Him. And that's a hard bit. I'm going to read a piece from Peter Marshall, who was the, the late chaplain to the US Senate. That was the time when the Senate US Senate used to have a chaplain and in his book John Doe Disciple, this is what he writes and he goes on a bit so I'll just read, I can't do any better than what he said so let me read to you. It is early morning but already the temple court is a bedlam of activity and noise Among the tables of the money changers, the cages of doves and the stalls of cattle, people are crowding about, chatting with their friends, selecting a dove for sacrifice, getting their money from the countries like Persia, Egypt or Greece. All this money is exchanged into the sacred half shekel of the sanctuary. It's convenient. It's convenient to buy sacrifices on the spot instead of having to drag them from a distance. It is helpful to be able to exchange money bearing up upon it the head of the emperor, a graven image and therefore unacceptable to the temple, for the statutory half shekel, and so convenient for all and profitable to many. The temple huckstering has become a recognised institution. Shrill voices, arguing, bickering, swearing angrily, the metallic tinkle of coins as they drop into the money boxes on the table. All the signs of greed can be heard just outside the holy place. There is no serenity, there is no peace, No one can pray there like this. Suddenly, there is a lull in the confusion. Startled at the sudden quiet, we look up to find a strange, yet hauntingly familiar figure standing between between two of the gigantic these gigantic stone columns of the temple. It's Jesus. His face burning with intensity. His face. Magnificent in its wrath. As he steps forward with a resolution and a firmness born of the terrible conviction within him, there is a look in his eyes before which men break away. His lips are drawn into a thin line. Stooping down, he picks up some binding cords with which which the merchants have discarded and deftly he knots them into a whip. There is something in his attitude, in his eyes, in his face, in that ominous silence in which he stands watching, which makes men look at him with an uneasiness in their eyes. And then the full fury of his wrath breaks. In a few long strides he is across the court, Picking up the boxes filled with money scornfully and deliberately, he empties them on the stone floor and the coins spill with a clatter, rolling off in a hundred different directions. Tables go crashing to the floor and the money changers rush to gather up their coins from the filth and in their greed made all the more frantic because of their fear. They grovel in the dirt, pouncing upon their money as the man with the whip stands over them. And Then he drives out the terror-stricken cattle. The muscles in his arms stand out like cords. The light dart from his eyes. Not a voice he's heard in protest. Not a hand is raised against him. Even the temple guards only stand and watch helplessly. His magnificent figure dominates the whole scene. His voice rings out echoing amongst the stone pillars and sounds like the voice of doom, like the voice of God himself. It is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. End of quote. And you thought you had Jesus figured out? Is this the Jesus you would take to Sunday school for show and tell? as your best friend? Or would it make you feel uncomfortable? What made Jesus so angry? You see, what started out as a convenience for pilgrims who had to travel for days in order to come to the temple to offer their sacrifices, it, it would have been difficult bringing the whole family with the kids, and on top of that having to drag animals, whether it's a goat or a lamb or even a calf or cattle, cow, all the way to, to the temple. It, it, you know, up and down, walking up and down those hills, and there's a lot of hills in the land of Israel. So therefore there had to be a better way than to do all of that. So it it turned into a very profitable money making scheme for some. The priests and the local politicians maintained strict control over the, the franchises in the temple area and then demanded their kickback. And once these merchants cornered the market They felt free to do as they pleased and to charge as much as they wanted. To start with the money changes, they came with their foreign currencies. Australian dollars. Now we can't have Australian dollars at the the temple. We have to exchange it for shekels and the exchange rate was exorbitant because you can only buy the sacrifices with the shekels. That was one thing. And then the animals, the animals that you brought, maybe they weren't good enough. So you dragged it all that distance and if the inspector came and said, it not not good enough, sorry, have to dispose of it and get one of the, the local products that's been stamped. And their prices went through the roof as well. And just in case someone got the wise idea to set up a competing market elsewhere and undercut the temple sellers, the priest would send the soldiers because they didn't want anybody else getting into their market. The whole system was filled with graft and corruption. And they presumed probably that God didn't care He's too busy running the universe. And because God supposedly didn't care, they could do whatever they wanted with the things of God. I can tell you that God does care. And for a number of years, 33 years by this time, Jesus saw this happening and his anger was slowly building up. His anger was just slowly, patiently building up and building up. And the tipping point was here as as his time had now come. It had been building up to this. He's only going to be around for another week. He's He therefore built up his his anger to the point that it was spilling over and this was the appropriate time to bring judgment. And the reason he's angry is because these merchants, politicians and priests have taken that which was intended to be pure and holy and sacred and set apart and dragged it down under and set up their own little merchandise and everything else for their own little kingdoms and they forgot about God. What else is at the temple? Prayer, verse 13. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. While while we were there, we observed as the women on one on one side and the men on the other they came and they placed their prayers at the the wall of the old temple and they got their prayers and they write it and they stick it in the, in the cracks in the wall and obviously as, as people come from over the all over the world and all of that when the sun sets and the those who come to pray at the temple wall before the wailing wall as we know it now. Then the cleaners come and clean up all the little cracks and everything else and they just drag it and put all of that in the rubbish. That scene is, is not shown by the way on to the, to the local tourists. That happens every day. But the intention of going to pray at the temple is there and that's why the traditional Jews today, they consider it one of the holiest places because they go there to pray. My house will be called a house of prayer. And we can go and pray anywhere, anytime. And this temple was dedicated, of course, as a special place, dedicated to offer prayers to God. And this place should also be open to those who come and pray together with other pilgrims and other believers. And over the years much praying had been done, had been happening in, this, in that temple. And over the years much praying has gone in whatever building the people of God pray and get together. It is a place dedicated for the people of faith to come together to meet God, to meet one another and together to lift our prayers to God. But when we leave that place after the tearing down of the the curtain and the veil, no longer do we have to go to a special place like the temple in Jerusalem to pray, to put our prayers. We carry the temple of God with us. And when we stop and ponder that our, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it is important that we take seriously the words of the Apostle Paul. That is, we carry this temple wherever we go. Therefore, the words of the Apostle Paul is pray without teasing. So wherever we go, we carry this temple with us. It's quite convenient on one sense but it's quite inconvenient in another sense because we cannot separate the holy from the unholy. It is with us the whole time. It's, it's quite convenient I say, well, I'm going to run my own little life here, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because I can just go to the temple and God will forgive me. and I can then go and do, and separate that from the holy to the unholy and I'll run my own life. No, when you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you're thinking, you cannot separate it. It's with you the whole time, 24 hours a day. Whether you're awake, whether you're sleeping, you are it. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And some would say, mm, "I like it the old way better. Then I can at least do my own thing." Sorry. That's not the New Deal. That's not the New Covenant. Thirdly, healing, verse fourteen. The blind man, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Isn't it interesting that it was only after Jesus drives out the money changers that those that really needed him, his power, that they came? Everything else was clogging up the system. And then the sick, the blind, the lame came to him at the temple. In just a few minutes of mayhem, Jesus restores the true purpose of God's house. It, it, it is those that need God that should be able to come to him free, without cost. That The money changers put up all these barriers and everything else to, to reach God. And Jesus is saying, There are no barriers to my healing. There are no barriers to my power. It has been said many times that the the church is not a country club for the spiritually sleek but a hospital for the sick. We belong to the church not because we're behaving like saints because God knows we don't but because we're sinners who desperately need God's grace, God's strength, and God's wisdom each and every day. We come for healing and restoration. What else do we find at the temple? Praise, verse 15. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. So you put the words wonderful (laughs) and you say, this is fantastic. Let's just stand back and applaud and just acknowledge man, this is good. This is really 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 good. Uh, You put the words wonderful and indignant and somehow it doesn't fit, does it? You see all the wonderful things and yet we're indignant. What's going on? They were okay. The chief priests and the teachers and all that, they were okay with the money changes and the trading. But they were not okay. They were not okay with the children's praise. The kids, the children who gathered at the commotion started repeating the praise. So the, the praise, everything that was leading into the temple and the people, the palms and the branches and all of that That stopped by now because Jesus gathered up a whip and all that and just as you thought, okay, there's a moment of silence and the people are getting healed and they keep start singing. The children, they pick up the noise, they pick up the praise, they pick up the worship. I love it. Maybe the kids didn't fully understand what they were singing and praising and worship. There's no way they could. But praise to God is praise to God. Whatever the source, even if it comes from children who don't fully understand or necessarily know all the ins and outs and understand deep theology and all of that, they're praising God from the heart. For us, don't be discouraged if you're a young believer. Don't know, you, know you, you don't know everything there is to know and all the deep theological doctrines and everything else and you think that I need to know all that stuff before I, uh, I commit myself, before I can serve, before I can fully praise God and have it all worked out in your head. no. You'll get there eventually. If you hunger for God, He will lead you to deeper knowledge and understanding of Him. We have to do that. There's no excuse for laziness. But none of us started there. You you have to crawl before you can walk and before you can run. Remember that God can use rocks just like He used a donkey, so He can use us. That's a real encouragement to me. He can speak through a donkey. An ass. That's what I am most times. So there's hope for all of us to speak truth. And sometimes like the children at the temple, we need to express praise even though we maybe don't even feel like it, even though we don't totally understand God or what He's doing in our lives. In fact, actually one of the best times to worship, to praise him. Instead of worrying, worship. Instead of pouting, praise. Don't be a fair weather worshipper that relies on the feelings on whether you can sing a Christian song or whatever. Start praying only when you feel like it. Stick with worship. Stick with prayer in the storm's of life, when the weather is good and when the weather is bad. And something else, don't become a firefighter throwing a bucket of water on another person's enthusiasm and excitement for God. Please don't do that. Instead, get close by them and you might actually get some of the heat that's radiating, some of the enthusiasm. Goodness knows, it might even be contagious you might become joyful and happy as well. Feel the joy for the Lord. Fifth, a love for God's word, verse 16. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? Of course they read it. Of course they read it. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Somebody tell me which psalm that is. Eight. Very good. Better. Give that man a lolly. Jesus, yes, is quoting here Psalm 8 verse 2. And then the following verse and, and the following phrase is, in order to, to teach truth, he's quoting that verse, in order to teach truth. Why? To silence the foe and the avenger. That's what Psalm 8. And Jesus didn't quote that, but he, that's the context of the psalm. And Jesus used it to silence his enemies. He was using the praise of kids. Of course, all those teachers would have been very familiar with Jesus, with the words that Jesus quoted. They memorised Scripture. They memorised the Psalms. They knew it. They just didn't apply it in their own lives. Or if they did apply it, they applied it the wrong way. If this is a place that we can call a temple because individual temples all come together to worship, if this place is a temple and we are being built up as a temple to a holy house, We come here together to hear God's word being taught truthfully, honestly challenging us, building us up. We come because our souls need to be, need this constant surgery, this constant operation. We need to be fed. However, it's also important that you don't just get all your devotion, God's word here. You need to continue to listen to God's word at home, in your personal time, hungry for God's word, wherever you are, because you are also the temple of God. So why are you coming to the house of God? Is it for what you can gain or what a relationship with him can bring? Well, that's okay. You can come with that. We also need to check our motives. We come to God because He is the source of life. And if there is no life in you, you have to go and check what happened. What happened to the source? Is it still flowing? Is it stuck? Is it full of gunk? He will clear it, as long as you let him. We come to God because he is God and we're not. We come to God because we're helpless, because we need to come to the hospital, because we're sick, spiritually sick most times, and we need to be healthy. We need to be repaired. We need to be fixed up. We come to him because he has freely given us salvation and we want to fully invest ourselves in that saving and transforming work in his kingdom. That is why we come. And at the end of that passage, it says that Jesus did what he had to do and then he retired back to Bethany. Bethany, of course, is the place of his friends, Lazarus, Martha and Mary. And there he was going to regroup before the events of that last week on earth. That last week where so much was going to happen. When God takes hold, when God takes ownership, he changes things. He rattles things. And sometimes in our lives he might even get a whip and start turning the tables over. Just let him do what he has to do and turn your temple into a house of prayer and devotion to God hungry for him, hungry for what he wants to do in our lives let me lead you in prayer let us pray Lord as we come before you we thank you for the wonderful work that you are doing in our lives each of us are in are in this place Lord Lord Wanting to hear from you, and I pray, Lord, that we have heard your voice this morning. Pray, Lord, that uh, whatever is has taken over uh, the holy place that you deserve in our lives, Lord, that uh, you will turn that over to you. It might seem a little scary at first to surrender to you, but Lord, there is no other way. We want to be fully committed to you, to your kingdom to what you are doing in our lives and use us to bring change and to help others in our world as well. We submit ourselves to your work, your kingdom and whatever situation we have, Lord, we know that you are more than strong, more than powerful, Lord, to deal with whatever challenge we face as individuals and as a church. You are the Lord of lords and King of kings. And to you will come, and to you will give the glory and honour. Amen. Let us sing our final